do a series called Distress. Uh, and it really stems out from uh, last Tuesday when we met as a pastoral team. Uh, and uh, my wife, that, you know, have this little statement. She said that the most affected area in this season has to be our mental health. Uh, that, that kind of little phrase caught my attention, caught the other's attention. And I said that, you know what, we should do a series and helping people uh, to look at all the mental stress from a biblical point of view. And so that what does the Bible have to say about this? So we decided uh, uh, to call this series Distress. Uh, distress simply means it's a prolonged uh, suffering and a prolonged uh, pain or a prolonged anxiety or a prolonged stress. I call it stress on steroids. And I think that exactly describes where we are today. I'm not too sure whether you're aware, but ever since MCO March last year until now, we've all together have spent 165 days, if you were to add up all the different MCOs, uh, in a MCO scenario. And I think that with the EMCO being announced, there's another side from everybody. Uh, so all of a sudden, the stress, the suffering, the pain, whatever, is not, it's not just going on, but it's now being prolonged, which then leads us to a place where we felt distress. Uh, we felt that the stress is just increasing. You know, I still remember that when uh, MCO first came out, all of us was getting a little bit, say, what's going to happen, you know, and fear, and you know, all of us. And we kind of, if you still remember, we had a series, you know, on uh, just being in God and, you know, live loud, live bold, you know, and all that. But in that season, we sort of come to a place where we are familiar with the new thing. So we had so many new muscles that we developed. Uh, Zoom was the one that everybody, everybody was so excited. But you know, Zoom for a month, two months, three months, four months, eventually you have the terms called Zoom fatigue because everybody are in an environment where all of a sudden the norm that happens are the same old, same old that brings everybody in a distress uh, position. So today, after 165 days of being locked down, being with a family together, some of you, you are alone, you have your own stress uh, because you have no one to talk to. Some of us, like me, have a full-blown family together with my mom, seven of us, plus a dog, uh, then uh, it gets a different scenario. And this is the common everyday scenario. Uh, and uh, you begin to move into uh, a situation where you have a little bit of distress because everybody is fighting for internet. Everybody is fighting for space. Uh, when, when someone is or doing a Zoom or sometimes doing a presentation because of their college requirement, you got to tell everybody, be quiet because I am doing a presentation. And I used to do a lot of videos at home and I have to get everybody to be quiet down. Uh, so much so that there's one point I can only do my video either early in the morning or very late at night because everybody asleep. Then I have another problem which is the dog. Uh, then the dog will bark and we'll try to find ways to how to handle that, you know, all of that. Now all of a sudden in this lockdown scenario we move from something new to something that's a bit stretching and now with the EMCO and the case that is arising we may actually move to a place where we are in the situation called distress. And it looks differently to everybody according to your age, according to your stage of life. Uh, so for my kids, uh, they go to college and uh, they, they kept telling me, Dad, he says, why do I have to go to college now? There's no campus life. We just meet people on Zoom. There's absolutely, I hope that's, that doesn't define my next three years in the college, right? Uh, for my daughter, uh, she's 13. She's going in and now she's like, Dad, I'm so tired. I, I, you know, I want to do different things. And so all of us face 
us a little bit different scenario, but the situation is real. And the reality is that we are locked down in such a space and the greatest effect could be really the stability and the health of our mental state. Because all of a sudden, we just move from being stressful, now on a steroid, we now move to a scenario distress. So I don't know whatever you are facing right now. Some of us, because of pandemic, we're having stress over our finance. Uh, some of us, because of pandemic, we're having stress over our marriage. Uh, some of us are stressed because of our family, uh, the kids, and being locked down. And kids are stressed. Some of them became very violent. Uh, in fact, one of our good friends told us that when the kids all went back to kindergarten, uh, just a the small kids, their behavior changes. Uh, and that's just because of the long term of lockdown. So this entire lockdown situation is going to have a huge impact, 10, 20, 30 years, when we look back uh, psychologically how it will actually affect us. So we wanted to do a series uh, so that we are at par and just helping all of us to have a biblical take and in the midst of this that we will have the most powerful biblical response uh, so that we trust that with God, uh, then we are always a conqueror in Him. Okay, now I want to give you, uh, this is a survey of 1,008 people aged 18 to 35, which is apparently most affected when it comes to a certain category of depression. 80% of participants reported significant depressive symptoms during the pandemic. This is a Miami research. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously, uh, don't, don't look too far. Just look at our local scene. Uh, Malaysia right now, every day you get about three to four suicidal cases. Uh, it has increased. Um, the number of hotline people calling in for help has increased tremendously. Uh, and I was talking to one of the therapists that I know, counsellor, which uh, one day sort of broke down because of the overwhelming cases that this particular person needs to shoulder and also because of the overwhelming nature of the cases where you deal with death, when you deal with uh, losing the loved ones, when you deal with the conflict in within the household and marriages and even a counsellor felt the pressure caving in. And I think all this was just to give us the reality. And if you look at a newspaper, no matter it's Chinese or Malay or Bahasa or Tamil or, you know, you will see that there's an abundance of news of how depressive symptoms is really, really on the rise now. So what we have decided to do is, when we work through the areas of mental stress, we have nearly down to four different expressions. They're all about this. They're all different, but they're all connected and potentially one leads to another. But they all have their own different expression of it. So we, for the next four weeks, we hope to be able to give you both a biblical tech, uh, both a biblical take, and also some practical handles as we work through this. Now, right after this service, we're going to have a dialogue. Uh, we want to target the four areas of mental stress, which is isolation, uh, loneliness, and I know there's a big debate, and I'm going to cover that a little bit later. Uh, then we're going to talk about anxiety worry. So just now what has happened has caused all the crew members to be super anxious, okay, but uh, that's fine. Uh, number three is stress and anger, which is very real. And number four is hopelessness. And at some point, you find that you have lost your identity of who you are, which is why uh, you got people out of the hopelessness of the situation. They decided to take their life. Uh, so we find that these are the four areas. It kind of expresses itself differently, but they are all interrelated. 
Okay, now I want to give you a scripture. This is Jesus on the night before he was betrayed, Garden of Gethsemane, all right? Actually, the night he was betrayed. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So I want you to know that the Bible has many, many different stories that talk about the life of David, talk about the life of Saul and the different one and Peter and all those. And they went through moments of patches in their life where the mental health is being attacked where they really felt like there was so much stress. And here it is, Jesus said, my soul, overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And can you imagine? That was what Jesus was going through. If Jesus went through all of this, how much more each and every one of us? I want to show you another passage of the Bible. Psalms 107, verse 6, 13, 19, 28. It ends with a little statement in this psalm, four times. He says, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. It was very interesting because in this little psalm, it captures four different angles. It talks about, uh, first of all, of someone who were lost in the wilderness, and then it talks about someone who were in prison in the dungeon. It talks about someone who had illness until the point of death. And finally, it tells a story of someone caught in the storm of sea. And he has four different words to describe the soul. First one, he says, my soul faint. The second one, he says, my soul thirst. The third one, he says, my soul abhor. And the fourth one, he says, my soul melted away. You know, in every one of them, it combines the condition of the soul. It combines the condition of the circumstances. But in every one of them, they cried out and they said this verse. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. Uh, so I want to say this, okay? If you're watching this, the first step in helping all this is to include God. Is to be able to say, God, we need your help. And I want you to be able to do so. Uh, as you listen to the sermon, you just cry to God, God, we need you. All right, now to take a journey, let me do my best to just cover as much as I can. Uh, I first of all wanted to look at our soul and our mind. Uh, all of us know that God created us uh, spirit, soul, and body. Uh, there are a school of thought that believes spirit and soul are together. And the goal is not to be technical because Everything works together hand in hand. We cannot segregate them. But the reason we kind of compartmentalize is because we can differentiate the way it functions. That's all that helps us. So we have a body, right? And some of us has a six-pack body, but our soul is flabby, uh, no exercise, breathless. And when adversity comes, our soul has no capacity to cope with it. You know why? Because we train our body so well, but we don't train our soul. So within our soul, uh, you have another three faculty. It's called the mind, the will, and emotion. All these three are together. I call it distinguishable, but indivisible. Now, the mind is the uh, capacity to think. The will is the capacity to decide. The emotion is the capacity to feel. So right now, as I'm talking to you, immediately, uh, you can differentiate all of them. Some of you, your mind right now is thinking about lunch. Some of you, your mind is thinking about what happened just now. Some of you, your mind, you are thinking about uh, how long will the EMCO be, right? And then it will affect your emotions. Some of you, your emotions are very kanchong. Some of you, your emotions are very excited. Some of your emotions are very sad. Some of your emotions are felt like almost like giving up. Now, the will is the one that determines what's next. The will is that capacity to choose to be strong or not. Now, so that's a little bit of our soul. 
but we're going to focus on the mind. But the reason I wanted to show you the soul is because I may use it interchangeably. Don't be overly technical. But I do want to bring out a point about our mind. Our mind is extremely rich and powerful of component of who we are, right? Because there's all of us has a way of us of thinking. Uh, there are actually 20 Greek words that describe the mind in the Bible. One of the Greek words simply means is the most trodden path. Okay, uh, oh sorry, in the mind is our, our ability to think, to plan, to decide, to formulate, to ponder, to process, to learn, to memorize. These are all uh, the, the wealth of what our mind can do. Okay, now one of the words in the Greek that describe the mind is the most trodden path. It, the mind has the ability to lead us or stir our path. That's the ability of a mind, which means, uh, uh, which is why sometimes you say, uh, he has a way of thinking. Uh, you look at someone and say that, you know, she has a very unique kind of uh, things to piece in her mind. You know why? Because all of us are tilted in some form and there's a certain path of thinking, which is why some people, they have a very negative thinking or mind. A negative mind or thinking person functions like that, right? You walked out, you see a sunny day, and they say, well, it's going to rain, it's going to rain. Uh, and, uh, you know, so they tend to lean towards negativity. Uh, everything that they do, when they buy things, you know, be careful, you know, that one may germ, that one may have this, I don't know what oil, they, they, they tend to be, some people are just in the positive mind. Uh, they're just consistently positive. So they may look at, you know what, today is 8,000 cases, the negative mind say, you know what, tomorrow will be 12,000. The positive mind say, no, 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 let's, let's, let's trust, let's believe, let's, let's do together, we will reduce it to seven, right? Now, that's the way we are wired. Now, my whole point is very important because when we talk about mental health, it begins with your thought, it begins with your mind. The more your mind is surrendered to God, the more the Bible says you renew your mind, the more the Bible says you have the mind of Christ, the more stronger you are when you are wrestling with the health of our mental minds. Right? Now, Emerson said this, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an act, you will reap a habit. Sow a habit, you reap a character. Sow a character, you reap a destiny. It all begins with a thought. All of us are a product of our thought. Uh, if your mind is strong, if you think godly thought, then it kind of projects you forward for what's going to uh, 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 go ahead of us. Now, I'm a generally quite positive kind of a person. And that's not because I have a positive mind. And I think that's because the faith that I have in God now, which is why 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says this. It says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love this verse because this this first tells me what helps my mind to be strong. What helps my mind to be strong is that the grace that we can rest our hope on who God is. And that is really a substance that allows our mind to be strong. Uh, 1 Peter 1.13 has a context. You know what was the context? Uh, the context was they were having the most massive persecution by then. And then Peter was telling the people, when you are faced with a pandemic, when you are faced with persecution at the max, he says our mind and our capacity to think can run everywhere. Therefore, he says, you, you gird up the loins of your mind. Literally tell us, you know, could you spring up and take your mind back so that your mind there is on the loose, on the run, whatever, there's just simply think. And people will think that I'm going to die. People will think that I'm going to, it's hopeless now. He says, could you gird up all the way you want to think? Get ready, be sober. That means do not be drunk. Do not be, you know, half wake and all this. He says, could you just gather all your mind? Take your mind back. 
He says, because you have the hope that is in Christ Jesus. So I, I want to say this, okay? Today, as we minister the word, it's not just being positive. It is really resting our hope in God. And with that, take our mind back. Let us learn how to think godly. Let us how to think in faith, even in the midst of all that we are going through. All right, now. Uh, we're going to deal with isolation for the next 10 minutes, and uh, let me do my best. Um, you know, one of the first things that affect with the pandemic is that we no longer can socialize. We can't dine in. Uh, all of a sudden, your social network is being cut off. Uh, my son is the one that says, that, Dad, you know, college how? You know, no more friends, you know, all that, right? And all of a sudden, we are zoomed in or we are just caved in. So isolation and loneliness can be very, very real. Uh, psychologist tells me that in, the, in my little reading that uh, many times isolation is the beginning point before the rest of the other symptoms. So if you are be felt isolated all your, and you feel lonely, and loneliness is really a state of mind. And, and I, I know that I, I had a chance to chat with a few loners in our church uh, as I prepared this series. And they were describing to me that uh, there are so many versions of it. And I know that it ranges from you can be with a crowd and then you're still lonely, correct? All the way to the spectrum that you can be all by yourself, alone, but not lonely. And I think that's the way they describe themselves. And they talk about how for some of them, uh, they actually are wired to love people, to, to really be socially connected with people. But because of something negative happened to them when they were young, uh, they felt mistreated, they felt rejected, they felt bullied, and they begin to cave in. And as they grow up, they kind of get familiar with the safe environment that they are in. And then they become a loner. I, I do know of kids who enter the cyber world simply because they, they find that in the real world, they are not well-received. Uh, people could not understand them. They could not understand people. But in the cyber world, they felt that they can be themselves. Uh, so I just want to say that I am not here to debate whether you are alone, that means yeah, and you not necessarily can be lonely. I, I, I think I'm not in that choo-choo train. But my point is this, the Bible is very clear that we are created for community. Uh, I was talking to uh, someone who maybe had a taint of autism. And uh, so this person was telling me that as a person grew up, he says that I find it, I struggle to understand people around me. And then I realized people struggle to understand me. And the person gave that little example. He says, Pastor, you always talk about how you went to Disneyland. You were all by yourself and you were so sad. I look forward to go to Disneyland all by myself. He says, I was exactly the opposite of you. But when I kind of walk through a little bit deeper and back to when the person was growing up, there's a sense of rejection, of not understanding each other that kind of potentially shaped a person as a person grew up. And, uh, and, and all this thinking are backed up by psychologists that really talk about uh, the early days of your development. Now, anyway, that's not the pathway we want to go. I just want to say that biblically, panoramic view if I can take you through. Genesis 2.18 says, and the Lord God says, it is not good that man should be alone. So the Bible clearly says that not good to be alone. Uh, Numbers 11, uh, it was Moses that I'm not able to bear all these people alone by myself because the burden is too heavy for me. I really like this one, Elijah. Uh, this is a story of Elijah when he was facing Baal and the 400, 500 prophets of Baal. And... Um, 
he said in 1 King 18 when he introduced himself and then went through the whole ordeal and he came out victorious. But in 1910 and 1914, chapter 19, verse 10 and 14, he plunged into depression. So he had a victorious, overcame the enemy. Then the Bible says he fell like I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. So after the victory, suddenly he plunged in. He had experienced isolation and loneliness. He then come before God and says, God, I'm the only one. Nobody else. You know, it's only me alone fighting all of this. And in that entire journey, God let him rest. God fed him. Uh, God bring him to a brook. And then finally, this is what God spoke to Elijah. God says, Elijah, I just want you to know, you are not alone. He says, I've got 7,000 prophets just like you who stood for my name in this nation. And that kind of woke Elijah up and says, Elijah, I want you to pack up your bag. I want you to go to a certain place. I want you to look for people that's just like you. And you know what? Who did he find? He find Elisha. And that's really the story of Elijah and Elisha. I just want to say that uh, just because you feel you're alone or lonely, there are a lot of people out there that actually is looking for community that you can find yourself in. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse uh, 10 says, If they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone, which he falls, for he has no one to help him up. And I think this is the reality. I want to encourage you, if you are reaching, if you are listening to this message, you know, I, I want you to... Be, uh, be someone that includes community. I want you to take your mind back and think community, all right? Uh, Psalm 68, verse 6, he says, God sets the lonely in families. I love this verse, you know, because it says that if you are a lonely person, you're by yourself, uh, God wants you to put you in families. Now, if you're listening to the message, I've got three little thoughts as I gradually bring this to a close. I said, number one, uh, if you are in such a spot, isolated, alone, or being lonely, number one, I want you to reach out for God. The Bible says that God will deliver you out. So reach out for God. Number two, I want you to reach out for help. And number three, if you're healthy, you reach out to help others. You know, I want to gradually bring all this to a close by uh, really a conversation that I had uh, with a couple that I kind of journeyed through their premarital. Uh, it was a fascinating conversation uh, because this couple uh, are, are, are very loving and they are, they are still together in our church and they are doing well. And uh, so this conversation goes something. As I journey with them in their premarital, it is very clear that they are a great couple, but it is also equally clear that the woman had a depressive symptoms. Uh, so in one of our final few sessions, uh, they both came up to me, and especially the man says, you know, he says, Pastor, what, what should I do? Because uh, when she is depressed, she will shut herself up in the room for the next uh, three days and four days, and she refused to meet anybody. And I don't know what to do. I, no matter what I do, she, she just refused. She may not want to pick up the call, and she wants to be left all by herself. Uh, then I remember I told this couple this. I said, you know what? Uh, I want to marry you both. I want to see you both build great family but can I have one condition? And I look at the girl, I said, you know what? You must decide when you are strong and healthy now that whenever you are such a state that you're willing to lift up your hand and put your hand into the hand of your husband so that he can lead you in moments like that. 
You know, because at that moment, your mind is trying to lead you to a certain path. And because you have no capacity to steer that, you then must trust your hand on the one that loves you the most, which is the husband, so that he can lead you gradually out of it. So I encourage the couple and say this, that I'm going to marry you with one condition, that you will trust your hand to your husband. You know what? After they got married, they told me stories after stories of how she felt so shut in. And then she remembered, oh, I must trust the one that loves me. And she put her hand into the hand of the hubby that says, you know, why don't we go out for dinner? And she was reluctant, but she went along with him. You know, in that process, she gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Now, I want to say this, okay? If you are all by yourself, would you reach out? Would you just say that I, I need, you know, our church has so many different life groups all over the place. We, we have people in every, I don't know, different taman and whatever. I'm sure there's someone that can reach out to you. If you are isolated and alone, I want you to know that you are not meant to be as such. We are not created to be in isolation. We are created to be in community. Uh, so I just want to end today's message by praying for every one of you. Uh, but I want you to remember this. Reach out to God. Reach out for God. Reach out for help if you need. And if you are someone that's strong, then you reach out to help others who are in need of this. I'm going to pray and then we're going to make that little transition. We're going to dialogue. I'm going to have Wendy with us and uh, she's a therapist and then we're going to kind of dialogue through a little bit about this area of mental health, especially isolation. All right, let's pray. God, we just want to come before you. God, I'm grateful to you that Psalms 107 says, they cried out to you in their trouble and you delivered them out of their distress. That is the faith phrase that I'm going to declare to every hearers that in the moment of our distress, we learn how to cry out to you and you will deliver us. And in the midst of our own journey, God, we will ask for help. We will move inch ourselves into community. Looks differently for a married man, for a married woman, for a child, for a teen, for a kids, you know. But God, that we intentionally steer our mind towards community and not to be a loner. Lord, I bless everyone that listens to your word and I pray in Jesus' name, you deliver us out of our distress as we continue the dialogue. Let it be practical in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen. All right, God bless.